Hi, and welcome to the Hot Air Podcast from Watchful. I'm Victor Over. I'm here with my colleague, Steve. And on today's pod, we're talking with Mike Demo. Mike has a long career building websites at digital agencies, but he now works at Web Ventures, an investment subsidiary of InMotion Hosting. Steve, what do we have to look forward to on today's pod? Hey, Vic. Well, Mike is a longtime friend of both of ours. In fact, he's a longtime friend of a lot of people. Mike's whole career has been built on relationships. First, he was a, a salesperson for web agencies, bringing in six and seven figure projects. And now at Web Ventures, he uses his relationships with people in the WordPress community to look for businesses to invest in. So we asked Mike about how to move your agency up market and target those big deals, and also how to make your agency more valuable for sale. Well, that sounds great, Steve. I'm sure our listeners are really going to enjoy this episode. Let's get after it. Hey, Mike, welcome to the Watchful Podcast. Hey, thanks, Steve. Happy to be here. So, Mike, if people know you, it's probably because they've met you at a Joomla Day or WordCamp. Just me personally, I've met you at events in Jacksonville, Florida, Milwaukee, in St. Louis, maybe Las Vegas as well, 101 other places. You're, you're normally flying around the world. How are things treating you now that you're stuck at home for a couple of months? Yeah, it's a lot different. My actual uh, job title with HR is lead handshaker. And so if you think you have <laughs> job security issues, um, uh, try having that as your job title. Uh, it's different, right? It's trying to figure out how to pivot um, with, with relationships, but in a digital space um, is a little different. My joke is I haven't been home this long in five years. I don't know if my marriage can take it. But uh, yeah, I've never been happier to not have kids though. So that's that's a plus. <laughs> How are you dealing with it? So normally you're in the relationship business to a large extent. You are, I guess, you used to work in an agency and relationships were key there. Now you're working as part of a, a business development company, working with a hosting company. And again, relationships are key. For someone who's, whose business is relying on relationships and community to a large extent, how's that transitioning to the coronavirus world? It's interesting because, yeah, relationships are key and is very important to keep communicating with people and all that. But it is interesting because people are all in a different space. People have kids at home and all of this different stuff. Some people don't want to jump on a Zoom call and catch up. And some people do. Some people have other issues going on. They might have a medical diagnosis. So it is an interesting space. I'm doing the best I can with the relationships I already have to keep reaching out and trying to see how people are doing and to help as I can and just you know try to keep those human connections, be with video calls or phone calls. Um, a day doesn't go by that I don't reach out to somebody in the open source community via voice or video. But if I don't know the person really well already, it is harder to start those conversations without having maybe met them at lunch at a WordCamp or a Joomla day or something like that. So uh, it is challenging, but we all just need to have a little bit of empathy nowadays. Are you doing a lot more podcasts and webinars and other online resources? Webinars, not really, but I'm doing a lot of like recording videos for a lot of online conferences on different topics. I usually speak at a lot of these events anyway. So I'm just shifting that to online. I'm doing a lot more podcasts and interviews and things like that. We don't really do webinars in-house because 
you know, we're just trying to meet business owners and it doesn't really fit our model, but we're trying to add value to different areas and companies and partnerships that we have. However, I can do that. Mike, do you think um, making those new connections is easier because the people you're trying to reach out to, uh, they have a certain mentality because they're in the open source software space versus you had to reach out to somebody in a closed source or highly commercialized or otherwise kind of non-open source type ideals in terms of the people you're trying to reach? Uh, really, I don't think it has anything to do with open source and not open source. You know, we like to all think open source is all hippies and we all love each other and free love and free software all day long. But at the end of the day, people are people and most every industry out there, and I've been in a lot of different industries, is a lot smaller than people realize. That The group of influencers in any industry is usually just a couple hundred people. And that, this can be anything from like a big, you know, electronics manufacturer like Samsung and their space and like the TV market to the open source market. We like to think that we're like a small little community, but a lot of these industries are small little communities. And as long as you don't come off as insincere, that is what's going to make the difference. You need to add value and have a servant first and see how you can help people, not just say, hey, I'm Mike Demo. How can I sell you something? Uh, there's a book I really like by Dana Derricks called Dream 100 that I've been following for a few years. And that's been very helpful through you know, this job and other jobs I've had in the past. So becoming part of an open source community as a business owner, as someone who unabashedly is looking to make money. I mean, obviously to make a positive contribution, but also to make sure you have a roof over your head and a roof over the head of your employees as well. Someone coming from that angle, it sounds almost as if you approach a community similar to a traditional sales process. If you're making a going through a traditional sales process, you would look at a company and you would identify the key players and the key decision makers. If you're looking to do business in, say, the WordPress or Joomla space, it sounds as if you think about it in the same way. You identify the people who are the movers and shakers and try and build a relationship with them so that your company can have key connections in the community. Exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about the human connection. Think about the companies or even the plugins or you know the WordPress companies that you like the most, or even normal traditional brick and mortar companies. It's very, when people talk about companies that they get excited about, it's not, oh my God, they had the best uptime of any host I've ever had. It's, hey, I had a really great support experience. Bill really helped me out when I needed it. Or, you know, this owner or this plugin dev is a really great guy. Those are the conversations that are happening when people are making recommendations. Yeah, the product needs to fulfill the product or service that it's offering. But at the end of the day, it's people that drive any industry and it's the relationships that are going to get you to the next level. So I honestly just want to meet people. And if stuff happens eventually, that helps us both business-wise, great. If not, that's cool. We'll still go out to Tiki Bars and have a good time. Uh, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. Often business owners think about the brand and, hey, we've got the cool logo, we've got the cool mascot, we've got the cool font. And none of that really matters so much that when people have a good experience and 
a company builds a positive brand around themselves, it's often based on individual relationships with that particular customer support rep, with that particular developer in the company. It's a much more individual, much more one-to-one brand building process. Yeah, exactly. We can all think of, you know, companies that we have in different spaces that might have a good product, but if you have a really bad support experience or sales experience or whatever, I mean, car dealers have this stigma, right? That, you know, the car shopping experience is awful. And that's why there are different companies trying different models to disrupt that. It's the same idea. It's the relationship should come first and the product and service could come second. When I was at HostingCon a few years ago, um, there was a keynote speaker who said, who thinks here has the best tech in your space? And all the hosts were like, we have the best technology. He's like, your customers don't care. They care, can you solve their issues and their needs? And that's what a lot of people in the tech space don't think about is they're all about uptime and efficiencies and all of this. When at the end of the day, people are coming to you because they have a pain point or a need and you might be able to fill that and it goes back to just emotion. So Yeah, so that's like support or relationship as a key differentiator. I mean, I think I couldn't agree more. Super, super important. And Mike, before you moved into your current role at Web Ventures and kind of making these relationships and you know evaluating companies, you were focusing on relationships at a number of web agencies, right? Do you wanna tell us a little about your you know how you use relationships at you know in your agency career? Yeah, so I was at two different decent-sized agencies, and they had different markets that we were going after, but we were all just trying to figure out and service what their pain points are. So many times I talk to agency owners that they're so focused on the project or prescribing a solution, like somebody calls and says, I need a new website, and they're like, great, got these packages, pick one or whatever, and they just start going down that road. And then you have what I call the honeymoon period where the site's great, it's launched and it's all pretty and everything. And then the site, three months, four months, six months go by and you call the client and they're not happy because it didn't do what they were expecting or whatever. And then they're gruff and and you're like, what the hell happened? And the reason for that is in our space, we're very, very good at not listening to people. You need to figure out what their needs are. So yeah, a lot of times these agencies don't listen to people. Um, they are too quick to prescribe solutions. So a, somebody says, I need a new website. You say, great, why? And then the client would be like, well, what do you mean why? Because everyone needs a website because websites are what everyone needs. No, there has to be a reason why you want the website. Is it to get more leads? Is it to, to submit information across your membership? What is that? And then when you figure out what their needs are, you need to dig in further and you keep needing to peel back that onion to figure out what their core problems are. And then when you know their core problems, you write them down as goals. Mike, go got a, um, we, we had someone on the podcast um, two weeks ago now. We just put the episode up. It was with uh, a lady, Nicola Fleming from Australia. And a lot of our chat with her was, talking about how she aims at small businesses who have very cleanly defined needs. Often they need a five, six page brochure site. And her her one person business has managed to scale up to running hundreds of these businesses by having a a very clean packaged system where you pay X and you get Y. 
it sounds as if what you're talking about is much larger projects. I mean, you have experience selling projects which are more like seven figures rather than small businesses, right? Yeah, six, seven figure projects. Brochure sites are fine. If you need a brochure site, that's okay. But at the end of the day, there's a reason why people are coming to you. And it's usually not just to get something on the internet and they don't care what it, if it performs or not performs. So when you get those goals, you need to write them down as smart goals, you know, specific, measurable, attainable, time, time specific. And you, what we did is we tied success in the contract to those goals. So on like maintenance plans. So if we meet these goals, then another 12 months will engage. And then we would set a new set of goals for the next 12 months. It's how you make sure you get the recurring revenue again and again. But more importantly, it has everybody on the same page about what the goals are because the people you talk to usually at the start of the project are not always the people that are the decision makers for the web project. So someone might be saying, oh, we need a new website and then someone else on the marketing team might get assigned to work on it. But at the end of the day, it's not marketing's job to move sales. They need to move units or leads or whatever their goal is. You need to figure that out first and then figure out what solutions fulfill that. Mike, so you've got lots of experience with these kind of larger projects, uh, enterprise level projects, for example. If I have a small agency, a smaller agency doing brochure sites and I want to move up market and get these bigger projects, you know, what advice can you, you know, take from you know, your years of experience and give to a, you know, a new agency owner maybe who wants, or an agency owner that wants to move up market? How do they get there? Do you have a couple of tips for them? Yeah, so everybody talks about maintenance plans, right? Sell more maintenance plans, get on maintenance plans. You know, it's good recurrent revenue. And maintenance plans are fine if you need to keep your CMS updated and maybe do some content updates. But maintenance plans don't focus on results for the client. So the first thing I would do is if you don't have a maintenance package, get a maintenance package. But then in that maintenance package, have it tied to goals. So what I always talk about, we were dealing with this with one of our internal properties just this morning. You know, we have a big wish list. You write down all the things you want to do on the site because here's the biggest secret. No one will ever say this on your podcast. I guarantee you. This is the biggest secret in the web space. Everybody is guessing. Everybody in the web space, every agency is guessing. And we like to think that we know best practices and we know the solutions. But yet I can tell you, I've been shocked on A-B tests left and right because um, we didn't under, you know, the market was a little different than what the marketing team at the client thought it was or what we thought it was. Yeah, make the site. The first site you launch is a great first guess, but you need to iterate on that to make it better and have the iterations be based on factors that matter. So write down all the things you think that might move the needle based on those goals, right? And then you prioritize them based on what will move the needle most. You really might want live chat, but unless live chat's going to move the needle for the goals, it doesn't matter. You really might want dancing puppies on a website. I love dancing puppies, but if it's not going to affect those goals, it doesn't matter. I once talked to um, somebody at a WordCamp and they're like, thank you so much because I had a client and it was a horror story and we didn't ask them what their goals were. They were a public utility. And they told us that we care most about bounce rate. So they spent all their time optimizing the project to reduce the bounce rate. The client was pissed. You know why? The client wanted the bounce rate to be as high as possible. Because they were a government-backed utility, they thought that if the site's well-optimized, 
Good SEO will allow the person to find their problem, how to report a blackout, how to pay a bill without having to click anywhere else, get the information and go. That's a very different goal than what the agency heard when they heard we all we want to we care about them. So you really need to dig in deep. Mike, what about things like you know ways to kind of uh, pre-qualify some of your leads? I mean, we talked before we started recording about how you know for large projects. Uh, those relationships are important and you have to build a relationship before you kind of dig in and try and kind of get into the more specific sales items like estimates and that sort of thing. What about, you know, discovery? Do you, you know, on those big sites, you know, is there an opportunity to, to build for discovery and does that help weed out kind of some of the less interested or less qualified leads you have? Yeah, for large sites or projects that need custom dev or integrations or stuff like that, um, you should definitely charge for a discovery phase or an audit phase. There's a lot of ways to do it, but discovery is very important. And discovery, you need to take the time and actually do discovery and not just use it as a way to make another five grand or two grand or whatever, or 20 grand, depending on, you know, what your agency's model is and actually find out what the solutions are. You need to use that time to do some research and look at the analytics and look at the data and again, have the conversations with the client because uh, these larger projects, these are going to come after multiple meetings and multiple conversations and probably, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of hours of work to be able to present the best solution for the client. And that might not be WordPress, that might not be Joomla, that might be Magento, or maybe something else. But if you go in with an open mind and you actually care about the needs of the client first and you take your time, the project will go further. But if a client does pay a deposit or a discovery fee that you can choose to wrap into the full project or not, if they decide to upgrade, um, you can make those decisions. It will allow you to know who's serious and who's not, quite frankly. One of the things that we've spent a little time thinking about when we did, you know, more frequent agency work was the sales process around the discovery phase itself. I found going from those small mom and pop shops to the larger semi-enterprise or medium-sized business type clients, maybe they weren't expecting to pay for discovery. And so we sometimes had to sell them on the discovery phase. And one of the things that worked for us reasonably well was to say, hey, you're when this discovery is over, you're going to have a, a spec document that you can then shop around and we'll put a bid on that and you can then get bids from other companies. Maybe you don't go with us. We hope you will, especially if you've done the discovery, you've made a good relationship, you've got a good chance, right? We found that a kind of a good way to sell the discovery also. So maybe you don't get the project or they don't proceed with the project. You do get some income, but the client actually has a deliverable, which we thought was, it was useful for the clients we work with. Yeah, for sure. And that's why like the deliverable needs to be a value and not just a way to pad your bottom line. So exactly right. So Mike, you spent a big portion of your career working in agencies and selling these high value projects. And within the last few years, you made a change. And now you're increasingly focused on evaluating businesses and looking for businesses which are sellable. You've talked with quite a lot of people in the WordPress community. What have you learned from looking at a lot of the businesses in our industry? Are a lot of these companies doing well? Is there something that defines the companies that are doing best at the moment? Well is a relative term because one successful business might be someone else's failure. It depends on what the goals of the founder are. Some people just want enough to 
you know, pay for a vacation fund. Other ones want to grow at it and, you know, make multiples of their investment. Other people just want to cover a salary. But generally, the WordPress ecosystem um, and the open source ecosystem is very, um, very healthy. In general, especially in agencies, although we don't acquire agencies or invest in agencies, I talk to a lot of people that do, you need to have recurring revenue. If you don't have some sort of recurring revenue, it's going to be very hard to sell it for much of anything because there's really nothing to evaluate it on because most formulas look at the annual recurring revenue and then value it at a multiple of that based on whatever factors the investor is looking at. How would the sales price for an agency compare to the sales price for a, a product or a software as a service platform? Yeah, so it is interesting. If you look at software as an industry as a whole, the average X factor is about 5.4 of annual revenue. But if you look at open source software, it is much lower hovering around the two to three range X factor. So it does kind of depend. I don't know the number offhand for agencies, um, but you can Google annual uh, you know, um, valuation factors for your industry by year. And um, there is a couple uh, um, banks, I think, that operate um, sheets with the information for every industry you can think of. So we've talked with quite a few agency owners on this podcast. And one of the questions I ask all the time is, how does your revenue break down? And one of the most common answers is about 50% new sales and new projects and 50% recurring revenue. If someone was looking to increase the value of their agency, one of your tips would probably be to increase the portion of the revenue that's coming from recurring income? Yeah. So if you're a more established agency and you're looking to kind of value yourself, yeah, you want to add more to recurring revenue. And you can do that by beefing up your service contracts. I know agencies that charge 15 grand a month for service projects, contracts, because not because they have a lot of edits, because they're looking at the goals and they're doing things to move the needle. And then if they meet those goals, the service contract renews for another year. And that is what's going to really get you the high multiples. Now, you need, of course, have a team to service that. If all you want to do is edit, you know, the client emails you and says, hey, add this photo, edit this text, add this blog, you know, it's going to be really hard to scale that beyond, you know, anything reasonable because you can only charge so much for a couple of hours of work a month and doing some um, CMS updates. But if you're servicing the client's needs, which are servicing their goals, which you should know in the beginning part of the relationship, then the client should be more than happy to pay you whatever you want if you can prove the value. And you can start small and have the contracts engage higher automatically if you meet those goals that are agreed upon. Mike, what are some other factors besides recurring revenue that I should consider as a, not me, the metaphorical me, a small agency owner, a small to medium-sized agency, let's say I have 50 or 100 websites I'm, I'm controlling, or maybe 25 to 100, somewhere in that range. I've got some recurring revenue, I've got some recurring hosting, maybe some maintenance plans. Take all that in terms of, say, annual revenue, multiply by 1.5 to 3-ish, maybe I can sell my business for that. What are the other factors that affect value? Like, you know, can I, maybe I have 100 clients, but I don't have any service plans. Is that worth anything? To some people, yeah, that is worth something. It depends on who you're talking to. You probably won't get a lot for it. But yeah, how many clients you have are does have value to it. If you're really well-known in the industry, you have a really big brand that has value, your domain has value, 
rank authority and backlinks and all that has different values into it. So it all depends on how tied people are to the business. But at the other hand, if you don't have recurring revenue and and there's a risk that you know, if you do sell it, that those clients might not stick with that agency, that's going to lower the value. So it depends on like, are you just buying the name? Are you bringing the staff on board? How will the transition plan happen? And that will affect things as well. So, Cool. So Mike, you work for Web Ventures now, which is connected to a large hosting company. How bullish are you and your team on the open source space over the next couple of years? Are you guys seeing the growth is continuing? Are you guys looking to to buy more companies and put more money into this space? Well, our website says we've set aside $5 million to invest in the WordPress ecosystem. So yeah, we're pretty confident. Our projections are really strong. And uh, in fact, in a couple of weeks, we'll have another announcement on another knock on wood acquisition that we're currently in the process of closing right now. So um, yeah, we're very excited about the open source space in general and specifically WordPress. Awesome. Thanks. So, Mike, where can people keep in touch with you and your work that you're doing with Web Ventures right now? Sure. Uh, if you want to follow me, Twitter is the best way, at MPMike. Uh, you can also just uh, go to webventures.io and you can email me at mikedemo at webventures.io. And are you planning on being in at any in-person events this year? Or you think that um, you'll be putting your sky miles to one side for the, the rest of this year? Well, I have a bunch of conferences booked for the year. About 25 to 30 of them have already canceled or went virtual. I still have about five holding in there. So if possible, I will be at as many in-person things as I can safely. But my gut says I'll be lucky if I get to even two of them by the end of the year. And to that end, I did cash in all my Marriott points and I bought a $900 telescope with my Marriott Bonvoy <laughs> points because I didn't feel like I'm going to be traveling and using those points anytime soon. So. Okay. Roll on 2021, the return of conferences. Yes. Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Take care.